What's up, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Multi Goodness. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle Banky, sitting at the same table as Christopher Tootin. Chris, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. It's looking like it's going to be a beautiful beer drinking Saturday. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm doing fantastic today. That's great. We have a uh, we have a really good episode. But quick before we do that, um, you can c- catch up with all things that we do at Multi Goodness at MultiGoodness.com or on Facebook at Multi Goodness or on Instagram at Multi Goodness Podcast. And remember, you can reach out to us at our contact form on our website if you uh, want to just say hello or let us know what you're drinking. We always like to hear from you. But Chris, today we have an awesome episode planned. We are sitting in Anderby Brewing um here in peachtree corners um with preston smelt hello how's, how's it going preston it's going great yeah and it is quite a cavernous space it's it's huge i love this tap yeah. room every time we've been i've been in here recently i've just loved to, the fact that we're sitting in an annex is what i'm going to call it off the main <laughs> tap room so we call it the game room the, the game, game room. room which actually it does fit that theme i just finished reading ready player one and so i'm literally seeing all i saw we had the xbox over there so. yeah xbox yep, exactly. and uh, nintendo so like, classic and then dartboards board games i'm in so ultimate nice. nerd mode right now as it is just finishing <laughs> up with that book so i'm like this is awesome so hey um nice cavernous i, I yeah. love this tap room though yeah. so um official title uh head brew head brewer brewmaster and uh co-founder yeah co-founder um but we want to we want to learn a little bit about anderby so why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory kind of how you got into brewing and uh and today sure um i mean i guess now this isn't really a unique story with the seven or thousand or so breweries opening in the u.s uh but you know started as a home brewer just like a lot of other a lot of other people just got hooked on it. Uh, started seven, eight years ago. Michelle bought me a Groupon to a learn to beer class at a place that's now gone out of business up in Marietta called Brewmasters Warehouse. Oh my Ooh, goodness! I actually nice. got that same Groupon, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> ironically enough. So, buddy of mine and I went, spent the day up there, learned to brew, left with a whole you know five gallon stovetop kit. Uh, a couple months later. Went out and bought a whole bunch of uh, 25 gallon pots and moved to all green out on my deck and then ended up buying a one barrel electric system for my den. Hooked that all up, brewed on that for a little while. And then a couple of years ago, we moved into here. So, see, so you had those days of just the, the entire well, den and I'm assuming house as well, smelling a little like a mash. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love but it smells smell. good, right? Yeah. Oh, no, just, I, I love great. it. I always say that we should, they should make candles that smell that smell because I'd love to just light my house up. Yeah. Smell like that. Kyle reality always tells us that the wives do not agree with that all the time. I know. I know. It's okay. My neighbors are split 50 50 on it over here. Ah. (laughs) See, I had had to move into the garage finally to to start doing the homebrew because now that I got the garage, I had to start moving into the garage to do the homebrewing. Yeah. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, like Anderby, how long you guys been around, um, maybe about the name, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So we opened very end of July of 2019. So we're almost technically at our two year mark. Um, We waited till kind of October of that year to announce it in a grand opening. So allowed us to work through some you know, it's fine tuning of the processes, the the beer, the recipes before we officially announced ourselves. Uh, so we went through like a three month soft opening period, which is a little long for a lot of breweries, but yeah, uh, I think it worked out for us. I think that's when we started trying some of the beers because, yeah. you know, Kyle and I, we both kind of lived, we both were living down in Brookhaven up until literally about a year ago. I think you moved right at the beginning of the pandemic. So, but yeah. then I recently moved up here. So now we're literally both local, but like, it's kind of cool because we've kind of seen everything you've y'all been doing for the last you know ever since you started doing some of that soft opening beers so 
um, kind of seen the growth of what y'all have had to put out there. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we definitely wanted to come out today. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, we did things a little different, right? So I did not hire a consultant to help with the brewing at the beginning. Um, I, I wanted to find my own voice sure. and my own style and didn't want somebody coming in and telling me what I should be making or how I should be making it. That doesn't really fit mm -hmm. because one of the things I really wanted to do that is really different than most Georgia breweries is be a craft malt, malt focused brewery. So, uh, what that means is about 85% of all the grain we use is grown in the Southeast and malted in the Southeast by independently owned farms and craft malt houses. So that's really cool. There are very few breweries doing that to this scale mm -hmm. in Georgia. And by scale, I mean percentage of total grain bill, right? Yeah. Uh, Creature Comforts uses craft malt. They use more craft malt per is a poundage in a year than I do because, well, it takes me yeah. like a hundred brews to hit like 10 of theirs, yeah. right? So we're a much smaller system. So before long, we're going to see a farm farm out here, out back here and we're actually going to see growing your own grain as well, correct? Well, <laughs> maybe not grain, but we did plant some hops. Oh, nice. see, oh, okay. Well, how are uh, they growing so far? So far, so good. They've okay. been in the bathtub for about a, a week. <laughs> and so we expect them to take off here any minute now and just start going up. They're, they're going to be more decorative, but... If the weather stays the way it's been, like it has been the last month and it continues this way for the, any end of May, then I think we'll be good. You yeah. Because I know that's obviously the biggest challenge you face being in the Southeast is some of the heat and just the temperate cli or the climate we have down here. So, but the malt anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to, yeah. I just thought when you said hops, I was like, that's fantastic. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for you to start growing your own malt out here now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I barley. mean, that, that we're probably not going to be able to get the acreage for, but there are some good places, uh, I mean, Riverbend out of Asheville is the malt house that we use predominantly, but then Georgia Malt opened up, up in Cartersville or outside of Cartersville just a few months ago, and they're producing some good stuff too. Uh, so we'll continue to expand on that. But as much as we can keep it local or regional as possible, we're going to. Um, and that was a lot different and a lot of the... Uh, you I have to figure some things out with the craft malts. They behave a lot differently than the mass-produced stuff. And I definitely think that that's, I mean, that's obviously an awesome initiative i mean we talk a lot about community and we you know it's one of the things that that i feel like sets you know it's basically becoming a, a foundation of what you're doing which is which i think is is usually shows in the in the beer the beer you're making so um which so let's do you want to go ahead and dive into yeah. the first beer we got That's beer in front of us yeah. and it, sure. it's hard for me to have this much beer in front of me and not drink a little bit of yeah it. So, go for it exactly. um so you've had a lot of good beers in the last year obviously in the last you know and so we've got three and or actually three in front of us four fourth one sitting in the can we're gonna let that one i know chill for just or unchill for unchill. a second um <laughs> let's start with left i think we said you said you wanted to start with the fuego correct if you want to start with fuego we can or start no you with said not to start with fuego man i went backwards from what we said let's start with whichever one you want to start let's with. start with the van hazen okay, okay perfect so that's our going to be now one of our core beers it's a five and a quarter percent hazy pale ale uh Featuring uh, Azaka and Citra hops, so it definitely is. Oh, see, so I'm a hazy guy, and so I'm loving the loving the aroma coming off this one for sure. Um, Colors like super haze too. I love oh yeah. I love that. Um, looking look in the glass too. It's really nice. So this one is obviously the name, as the name implies, a fantastic pun play on words here. I love it. So, um, but the can obviously is also 
I've decorated like uh, Eddie's guitar himself. So yeah. that was the inspiration behind the label yep. for sure. Um, rest in peace, obviously. Yeah, that was. Um, so the beer, but obviously, so the yeah, the idea behind this beer. So what you said, five point two five, five and a quarter, five, five and, and a quarter. Point. Yep. Ironically enough, the first IPA I ever made was five and a quarter. So um, the citra is really coming through in the aroma there. Lo- love that, Azaka. I'm not. That, what's the profile on that one usually? Uh, kind of more lemony, uh, limey. So that type of citrus more so than the like an orange uh, flavor. So it should. I mean, it pairs very well with the uh, with the citra. Where when we first packaged it, we actually felt the the lemon notes of the Zaka were a little too forward. So batch number two. Uh, now that we've decided to keep this as one of our cores, one of our changes tweaks that we're going to make to the recipe is back off the citra a hair. This version is uh, or, Azaka, sorry, back off the Azaka here. This one, version one's Azaka forward. Mm. We're going to balance it uh, with the Citra. So just pair back the Azaka a little bit, add a little more Citra. It should balance out those fruit notes yeah. uh, a little bit more. Definitely, like I said, I'm getting it on that Citra. is obviously the easy cop to remember because the name implies, but it's always, you're getting a little bit of that citrus aroma. The flavor, interestingly enough, I'm getting more of the Azaka for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's more of that. And that's what we're trying to balance out a little more. Yeah. So cool, cool experience on in a glass is what yeah for sure. I always hope to get with that. Uh, we we at Multi Goodness, Chris and I like to do a little thing called the mouthwash test, uh, where we we agitate the beer in our mouth a little bit just to yep. kind of pull out some some flavors. Um, definitely brings out that lemon kind of lime uh, aspect, but still keeps it nice and hazy too, which is which is delicious. Matches the color on this one because yeah. the we didn't we talked about hazy, but this one is like that paler straw hazy as opposed to like darker a lot of times west coast are really darker but this is definitely on the lighter side of of what you find with a lot of ipas Mm -hmm. so uh so speaking of core beers you said this is going to be you know one of your core uh why don't you talk a little bit about how you kind of determine that process and and um because you said you know you've done that in the last couple months here um what does that look like uh to pick out your cores and and well originally we were trying to oh i don't know about originally but We've been an ever-evolving brewery in terms of strategy, sure. right? When we first opened, I was re- we have 19 taps, by the way, uh, listening audience. Uh, and that's just the front bar? Or does that include the... the They're mirrors. The game okay. room bar? Okay. Okay. So gotcha. the game room bar and the, the front bar are mirrors. Uh, so we have two bars, both with 19 taps, um, and they're just mirrors of each other. Uh, one day we could split them out if we really wanted to, but for now yeah. it's hard enough to keep 19 full, so <laughs> not worrying about that yet. Um, but our original plan was to just have you know a couple IPAs, one or two sours, maybe a stout or two, and just really play heavily in the classic styles. Mm-hmm. Whatever you define classic styles by, right? The English ales. Yep. Uh, our name is a derivative of an old English village okay. that was the manor seat of my family in like the 12th or 13th century. Ooh, that's uh, so really that's where cool. Anderby comes from. Instead of and, a tangential story, I'll, I want to come back to that one. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> so that was, we really wanted to start playing on those old English styles. Well, the problem is, especially out here, when we opened, we were the only brewery within seven miles of us. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get anyone coming out to hang out at your brewery because you have a great English mild. It's mm-hmm. not. Well, you'll bring right. me out, but yeah, right. I, I get what you're saying. Right, uh, uh, you're the odd, you're not audience, the oddball right. craft guy, but you are the yeah. You do like some love, of the. Yeah. I love it because you love some of the styles that are less appreciated nowadays, but were some of the original good mm-hmm. craft styles. Anyway, <laughs> so that was ten of our nineteen taps were all of these random styles, and when your minimum brew volume is five barrels, um, a lot of it, a lot of it just doesn't. <laughs> 
it goes, it turns south. Like it goes yeah. bad before people get out here to drink it, especially yeah. when you're new and nobody knows you're out here. So because of really the pandemic and it forced us to really go back to a distro model. And again, distro is the same thing. You're not going to be able to push a lot of this beer out in distro. We've really evolved to, and I'm an IPA fan anyway, to where we're having fun with IPAs. West mm -hmm. Coast hazies, we don't care. We started to have fun with IPAs. We started to have fun with big imperial stouts. And then I've started to have fun with sours and seltzers. Mm -hmm. I think you have to, no matter how hard you try as a brewery, you always are going to have to put out a good number of IPAs. Oh, yeah. Variations. Because, I mean, like you said, that is that is a lot of people's, which we'll come back to this question, but that's a lot of people. That's what their gateway beer to, to craft is, IPAs. And so, therefore, you know, because of that reason, you're always going to have to do that. But I, yeah, I love what you're talking about with trying the different styles and really trying to pepper them in. Yeah, and that's, I, th I feel like that's a, a pretty southern tradition too is having the the ipas lots of different ipas because uh, i i grew up in wisconsin um where ipas aren't really that heavy um they're just starting to get into them now they're starting to put out a little bit more haze um but it was really like the the grain forward beers like you know ambers and lagers and all those kinds of things um so it i think that is a, a big part of down you know down here is everybody wants an ipa yeah and I mean, the, the beauty of the IPA style or one of the things that I feel, I don't want to call it underappreciated, but it's such a great palette to have fun with and really explore everything hops brings to the table. It is a, between how you, how you hop it, how much you hop it, when the temperatures, all of that kind of plays into account. And mm -hmm. so it, it lends itself to have so much fun and experimentation with that. It's easy to have seven or eight IPAs on tap, mm -hmm. yep. even if they're using the same hops, just by using those hops differently creates radically different beers. Yeah. Like the German purity law taught us. It, it's interesting because hops, unlike fruit. And if you think like other adjuncts, like you can always, like there's tons of different fruits out there. You can throw in beer. There's a ton of different, you know, um, coconut different i'm just going through the, yeah it's easy to add those but hops is interesting because it's one single ingredient technically that has comes in so many different forms and can you like you said you can have you can go crazy and have fun with it yep and it changes that like you said it's it's amazing how many different ipas you can have on tap you could have all 19 bipas and pretty much make all 19 taste drastically different from each other mm -hmm. and using the same hops yeah and using the same hops look right. you can have it look smell taste everything about the beer can can be very different so yeah. so so what are the three core ip beers just so okay so getting back to cores right so when we first started we weren't going to do cores and one of the things and i mean it's i say we learned it it's been out there a lot of people have talked about this in terms of the beer business but once you shift to a distribution model it becomes difficult to grow a customer base when the beer is always changing because now you're relying on retailers or like package shops or restaurants to talk about your beer. And if every time, every two weeks, you're changing the beer on them, it gets very difficult for a restaurant staff to learn about your beer and be able to talk about it. And the Van Hazen we put out and we really enjoyed it. And then Get Off My Lawn has been a West Coast D style inspired IPA that we've had for, I don't know, almost about a year now, maybe a little over a year. And I've done a few variations on it, but it's, it's been one of our staples. And so we've decided like, now that we're trying to grow that distro, we need a couple of core beers. And so we've decided to have four 
start with four. Sure. Chunkzilla is an imperial stout. That'll be our, it's a 13 percenter. That'll be our core uh, stout. Okay. Okay. And then we'll have it and then it, variations around Chunkzilla will be a, uh, a regular theme and we'll be tapping into the German chocolate cake, uh, Taming the Beast. Which was the third variation. Which I'm is assuming, the third variation. Because I see the three on there. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So version two was Chunkzilla's Revenge. It was infused with ghost pepper. Okay. Uh, so that that one one? I, like, I liked that one. <laughs> ghost pepper is not a sweet yeah, pepper. <laughs> but it does have a nice fruit taste. And yeah. the one thing that we did differently with the ghost pepper in that version that a lot of people don't do with ghost pepper beers is we we left it, we left the peppers whole. We didn't cut them up. We didn't expose the capsaicin ah. and then infused it for a couple of weeks. And what it really did is brought out this fruit note of the ghost pepper that a lot of people didn't know existed. Because, well, when you eat a ghost pepper, it's so damn hot. Hot. Yeah, that explains. Uh, I think when I had that flavor. one, when I had that one, I was surprised that it wasn't. You're right. You didn't get more of the spice element. But you got a little bit more of that herb, herbaceousness. Love that word recently. Yeah, it's right? Chris's the, favorite yeah. word yep. lately. And like we dropped some cinnamon in there too to just kind of help give it a little bit of a a balance. Okay, sure. right. So it was a cinnamon ghost pepper. But having a 13 percent as a as a core beer, that's interesting. That's yep. something a lot of places don't do. Correct. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I love I, I love a good stout. So of course I. Cause you can do so much with it. So yeah, I mean, it serves a great foundation to have a lot of fun with and do a lot of different things, which is why we chose to have that one as one of our cores, especially from a malt perspective, since I know that's one of the focuses that you were trying to do that kind of allows you to also still play around with the malt a lot and, and do a lot of different things. Cause you mm-hmm. need a lot of malt to own a 13 percenter. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and then it also, it's like this week maybe, or, early next week, one of the things we're going to do with this beer is a party guile as well. So party guile brewing, again, not something that a lot of people do, but it's basically when you get two mashes from the same or two warts from the same grain bill. Ah. And so with Chunkzilla, what we, in order to get to 13%, you know, what we have to do is basically mash a thousand pounds of grain, but then there's no sparge. (laughs) You're pulling just that mash off. And so out of a 10 barrel mash, you're only going to get five and a half barrels yield into the kettle. So to get to a 10 barrel Chunkzilla batch, we're going through 2000 pounds of grain Okay, and our final runnings, hence the name Chunkzilla, I assume. And so our final runnings on that beer are very high. Um, Okay. For home brewers, our final runnings of Chunkzilla is a 1060 on average. That's a lot of people starting runnings for like Start an above IPA. One, and I'm assuming it starts above 1.1. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, so original gravity on Chunkzilla is 31 Play-Doh. I don't even okay. know how to, yeah, I don't. like off the top of my head, I can't convert that to gravity, but it's over 1.1. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it, the thing's huge. So I'm interested in this technique. You were so the party about, guile, yeah. you do a second mash, right? So we'll mash Chunkzilla. We'll pull that wort into a boil kettle one, and then we're going to mash it again, pull that wort into boil kettle two. We're going to do this twice in one day. Wow. So That's we'll a have a 10-barrel Chunkzilla and then a 10-barrel Party Guile lager, black lager. Okay. And, and y'all have released that one yet or no? We have. We, have, we brew it ah, next week. That's we'll brew it next week. So it'll take, the lager will take eight weeks before it comes out. Uh, Chunkzilla, you know, is out all the time. So yeah, it's interesting because be obviously I know so. that the, the final runnings on this one, you're right, is around where most of those lagers and lighter beers are going to start in. I say lighter, but the normal yep. 5%. Type beers are yeah, so we start, should get so. a five percent lager off our thirteen wow. percent stout wow. using the same exact grain bill. 
So fantastic. It's an old English style. Yeah. If you ever hear like strong ale, yep. mm-hmm. English ale, mild ale, mm-hmm. those are party guiles. So the strong ale is the first runnings. The ah, regular ale is the second runnings, and then the mild ale is the third running. So they would do this and get three different I beers to, off one grain bill. I need to read more of my history of beer yeah. book, apparently. Yeah. So that's, party guile. Yeah. P-A-R-T-I-G-Y-L-E. Yeah, okay. party guile. That's okay. not, that, is, that is new to me, and that's yeah. Yeah. I love learning that's awesome. beer stats or new, um, beer knowledge. <laughs> and there aren't many of them on the market. And, I mean, hey, we haven't done this one yet, so we'll see how it comes out. But that's one of the fun things we do Black here is lagers, we just try, pretty much try, try weird stuff and yeah maybe it see works. what happens yeah. yeah i'll always try a black lager i didn't know there was such a fun story behind half of them probably but yeah, <laughs> yeah. well i mean well when you talk about like what got me into beer and then like 1554 from new belgium yep. was one of my first like probably true craft beers that in fat tire was and it the was it the gateway beer to craft for you i don't know if it would be no so they were probably my earliest craft beers that I can remember, but there's a brewery in Charleston called Coast, and they've been around a long time. I know all about Coast. Okay, good. <laughs> um, they they turned me basically to where I stopped buying uh, non-craft beers with a milk oyster stout. Nice. Okay. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Yeah, I'm trying to as well. I I've had it. I've had a few. Of but it was like Blackbeard or something like that, or some variation of Blackbeard. And it was it was an imperial milk stout fermented on fresh oyster shells, and it was amazing. Get that and, nice like salty kind of brine feel oh, yeah. to it, and yeah, yeah. And I was living in Charleston at the time. Uh, it's so, not Bulls Bay, is it? Doesn't Bulls sound Bay familiar. is their new one. That's the new. That's the newer one. Yeah, that's the just the oyster stout. That's not the. Mil- I don't know if they brew the one you're talking about anymore. They may not. I and mean, again, this is a long time. Yeah, ago, right? I've. I know the one you're talking about though. I. So I've I've family in that area. Basically, I'm, my family's all from South Carolina, so I've had a lot of. Co- but Michelle's yeah. family is okay, gotcha. yeah. all down there. So. <laughs> so I've had. It's been. I haven't had a lot of Charleston beer recently, but yeah, I remember I've had the luxury of having a good bit. So. Um, that one sounds fantastic. Though. It I've was. Never had a, I don't remember a milk. That, that sounds familiar, but either way, yeah. Okay, so that sounds like a fantastic beer. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And from that point on, that's about all I drank. Interesting. That's an interesting, that's that, that's probably the most out there gateway yeah. beer. Because I feel like a lot of times for gateway beer, it's either pale ale of sorts or an IPA, you know. Something no, mine was an light. imperial stout. Yeah. Hey. And so when I started homebrewing, the first thing I did was an imperial stout. Yeah. That was the first beer I made. Which is a homebrew. hard, did you do that extract or did you do it all green? Uh, extract with okay. some adjunct. Got it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I haven't even attempted it yet because I, it's just a lot of, I, I, since I do all grain now, it's just a lot of grain. You need yeah, it a, is. Lot of, a lot of time. Don't be afraid grain. to use a little DME though, if you need to, to boost it up. True. It's okay. And mm. I have learned There's nothing that wrong with that. Right now it's more been the space for me because only, only recently have I gotten a larger space to actually work with. So now I'm like, okay, now I can finally attempt it. Wife's going to be out of town probably, you know, soon. And I'll get to maybe while she's gone for a few days, I'll just make there a complete go. mess out of the garage or something. There you go. So, yeah. Apartment complexes don't really work well for doing home brewing. So, no, no they don't. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah. Houses or the are, uh, houses are much better. Or the, the community patio that everybody uses at their, you know, at our uh, old apartment complex. That's where Chris and I brew our for, brewed our first yes, beer together. Um, but uh, so Van Hazen and Chunkzilla. Yep. Uh, are going to be two of the cores. What are the other two? Uh, so get off my lawn. Yep. We'll stay as a Ooh. core. Um, it's West Coast, right? It's West Coast inspired. I don't. Uh, I don't want to say it's a true West Coast. We don't bitter it quite as heavy as a traditional. If you okay. think West Coast stuff that was coming out in the nineties, and mm-hmm. it was you know everybody some was trying original, to fight for yeah, some triple digit IBUs. Bells and- yeah, we're not that crazy on mm-hmm. it, but it is that classic CTZ boil edition. 
and then you know some Eldorado and some Citra Ooh. in the dry hop. Yeah, I love. We've, we've both had it. Yeah, well. that's actually that's that's a really good. I don't usually love West Coast, but I actually do really enjoy that beer. Yeah, yeah and so, so it we try to go inspired by the West Coast because not everybody likes the hazies, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or the milkshakes or all these other adjuncted uh, <laughs> IPAs, but we also went citrusy on the flavor profile, yeah. like the hazies. Yeah. So it kind of fits in between the nice two. Nice little balance. Yeah. yeah. And then the third or the fourth was, this is where we're running into problems. Um, <laughs> we did a kind of internal polling and we brewed a, a, real, a beer a couple of months ago called Hazy Manx. And it was a double hazy IPA. It was like 8.4%. And it, it just turned out amazing. The problem with it is the feature hop is Rewaka. And now Wawaka is blown up in popularity and we can't get enough Wawaka to guarantee consistent availability now. Don't you hate that when you're so ahead of the times that you actually run yeah. into issues brewing it later on? So now, you know, and again, it's not like we use a lot of Wawaka or a lot of hops, right? Because we're a small brewery. So scale-wise, you know, you know, we may use for this one a batch of Wawaka we would need to make once a month to keep up with a core varietal. And we use, I think, about 44 total pounds per batch, mm-hmm. or 20, 22 pounds. 22 pounds of Rewaka per batch, which is not a lot in the yeah, grand scheme no, of things, right? Um, and we can't get enough Rewaka wow. to get through a, a, even a three-month supply, nonetheless, a six-month or 12-month supply. In the 2020 crop, everywhere is already sold out. And we don't have the resources to sign like hop contracts on stuff like that just because... But Until, I love the idea that you're a double IPA is that fourth. Oh, a double I, a double fourth, hazy yeah. will be the fourth. Yeah. Whether or not it's it's going to be hazy Manx or some variation, depending on we're testing a new version of it now, uh, where we've substituted half the Rawaka for Czech Saws mm. because that's the parent to Rawaka, and then we're doing uh, so that's our Dank edition. So we put that in with the yeast, and then our final dry hop or cool dry hop edition is we're switching to Waidi. So Ooh. that should give us a very similar flavor profile with two more readily available hops. That's and if good. that works, then that's how we'll, we'll keep it. That's so we'll big, know that in a week or two. That's a big hop that I feel like is mm-hmm. going to be on the up and up as well. Yeah. So just, yeah, that was the dominant. If you had the split personality oh, hazy, that mm-hmm. was the dominant hop in that split. Hazy. Had one. I finally had the hazy triple last night and that it makes that thing strawberry forward. And it's uh-huh. awesome. I love it. I was telling Keita, love I was telling strawberry. Kyle, you need to, you definitely need to pick up a, yep. A six dollar four pack of that right now, yeah. which while supplies last. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say, because um, it's yeah that one. I love that hop, and it's underrated. I feel like yep. right now because you don't find it a whole lot. So, you, you briefly touched on it by the way when you're talking. So when you're talking through, so beer is a trendy thing. Yes. So obviously, love it or hate it, you, any trends you definitely actually give us your favorite trend that you loved in craft beer, and the maybe one you have not liked as much. I, I don't want to say hate because. Can never beer's hate it, beer, right? beer's I mean, beer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually surprised it had the sticking power, but the whole hazy concept is mm-hmm. one that I'm, I'm actually very happy has turned into a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, and looks like it has staying power now. Uh, originally, I didn't think it kind of would. It, you know, everything seems to always regress back to the mean, mm-hmm. and it, it again, we might as a society regress back to a mean in, in another ten years or so. But definitely, hazies aren't going away. Um. I don't necessarily know if there's any trend I say I would hate. Uh, you know, society evolves, our palates evolve, 
what people want to drink or don't want to drink evolve. And that's, that, that's always been the case throughout humankind. Yeah. Um, that's the whole reason we have 7,000 craft breweries now is because we evolved from the crap American lager, <laughs> right. Uh, is being our staple beer and our, we've evolved from the accident that alcohol probably originally was. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, now we have all these great new beers and, and styles coming out. Um, you know, I, if there's anything that I dislike and I, I don't want to say like, I'm never going to say I'm never going to brew something, but the, what we call the diabetes beers, like I just, ah, I have a trouble with those overly syrupy or, 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 or just fruit. how much sugar can we pack into a mash and yeah. then finish it with even more sugar from fruit? Yeah. Right. Like, well, luckily in Georgia, you have a limit anyway. So they, they figure theoretically. So, well, and we're not talking alcohol necessarily. Well, right. But true. just, you know, there are a lot of candies and, yep. um, you know, all these sugary adjuncts being put in to beers and some of them are good. Yeah. It, but, I, I find that very hard to drink. I, mm-hmm. Sometimes the processed sugars do get, really, they just start being pretty much all the same. I mean, and especially because it is a processed sugar at the end of the day, it is essentially a sugar. It's not really much of a complex sugar at all. And so right. therefore, it just, from a beer perspective, it just kind of starts tasting all the same. You yeah, know, you're not going to change it too much. Yeah. Flavor profiles. It's different than maybe a real fruit or, um, you know, a chocolate or something like that where you can actually start, still pick some which i know chocolate is sugar I, i'm aware of that but cocoa <laughs> it's different than like a cocoa that you can actually pick out the correct flavor yeah. profiles that's one of mine too i I'm, I'm just not on that that side of the beer um you know everybody everybody has their own thing so you know yeah and i mean and that's everybody. what's great right yeah. is you know you have a bunch of breweries they're all do, if they all find their own lane and do their own thing then there's plenty of room for all of us yeah, yeah. agreed think that's the thing we love about craft beers there's so much of a frontier it's pretty much like anything you're never going to really be able to hit a hit a wall mm-hmm. there's always a new new creations that can be made so and speaking of that um the next beer we have uh this is cold ipa yes cold ipa yeah. uh we're just calling it a101 because i got lazy on names um, <laughs> a101 a101 it was our 101st batch ah so that's, that's cool. where the 101 comes from did you forget to name the hundredth by chance no the hundredth was uh if i remember correctly it was beach face down our mexican lager that comes okay. out memorial day weekend so ah, nice. okay um, that has that has that a special name as well so yeah yeah <laughs> okay so, so this was just a one-off um yeah we kegged it only we didn't put any into cans but it, yeah it's a cold ipa so the cold ipa style started evolving i don't know a year or so ago uh there'll be the West Coast guys, Washington State guys will say that they're the ones who started it, but then you'll also have people in North Carolina, of course, argue and say, no, we were already doing this too. I don't really care. I found out about it about six months ago. <laughs> You're just like, it sounds good. It I sounds make good. One. I'm going to try it. It yeah. sounds fun to make. So Yeah. And so the basic gist is it's a lager grain bill, an IPA hopping profile, but then you ferment it at lager temps with lager yeast and then... Uh, but you don't ferment it, you don't lager it, right? So you don't put it through that six to eight week, week. of cold storage. Yeah. It's still a three week beer. And there you go, right? So this is a, a local malt grain bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used a German Bach lager yeast. Oh, nice. Um, so that kind of gives it a little bit different of a kind of a note to it. Actually, yep. you know what? That's probably what it is. I was trying to figure out what it is. There's a back end. It's not like a viscosity thing, but it almost does taste as a, bit touch more of like a um i want to say thickness to it than you 
I expected from a from a lot of IPAs, but I think that's probably what it is, or from lager yeast, I should say. Mm-hmm. That's probably what it is because I feel like those box are traditionally ones that have a little bit more of a mouthfeel to them. Yeah. So. I, I really like uh, the fact that it, it almost drinks like a lager, but it's got that nice kind of like hop presence on the back end, which mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people would appreciate, especially, you know, now that we're getting into the warmer months, having something that they can easily just you know, sit back and, and sip on when it's like 95 degrees out and super humid, yep. um, but still get that really nice like hop profile to it. Yeah. And we, uh, we cut the ABV on this one a little low. So for us, at least it's only 6.3, Yeah, which for us yeah. in IPAs is low. We rarely do we dip below seven. <laughs> um, but you know, we threw some CTZ at the uh, top of the boil. The other thing we did that's kind of interesting is we used a product called Incognito. So we use Citra Incognito in the Whirlpool. Okay. Uh, so it's basically a liquefied concentrated citra. And sounds fun. We just put the whole kilogram in there during Whirlpool. Uh, so it really added a little bit more of a citrus kick to it. And then we dry hopped it with Eldorado, uh, Talus, and Cashmere. So I definitely think what's interesting about the aroma on this one too is that you would you you would both be intrigued by is it an IPA or is it not because it like that lager it it doesn't smell overwhelmingly like it's gonna hit you with a whole lot of hops but then obviously you taste it and you're right if you're if you like the West Coast style you're gonna like it because it's got that bitterness for sure I like it because it's it honestly has enough of like that I can kind of tell the character and the different hops coming through so or maybe that's just me being fancy and trying to act like I know <laughs> no it, no it's it's yeah it's got a lot of complexity to it for which is really a lot of things going on all in one. <laughs> yeah, and kind of the other thing that we do on a lot of our IPAs is, well, not, I don't know, maybe half our IPAs now is we use, uh, we we may double dry hop, but typically, uh, you know, home brewers, you know, may understand this, like a double dry hop, a lot of people will say, well, that's day four after brewing, like day seven or day five, yeah. day eight, day five, day 10, whatever, some variation of, the first hop you've already gotten through fermentation, right? Primary fermentation is pretty much over. And then you start your dry hops. Mm -hmm. We've changed our double dry hop process to where our first dry hop goes with our yeast at knockout. So that's where you get that dank. So that's where you get, yeah, yeah, we, we refer to it as a dank addition. Um, and then our second one will come either at the very end of primary fermentation or actually like a cold stage. So we'll get, down to like a 40 degree temperature and then add our second dry hop. Dropping. That's interesting. Love a good dry hop anyway. Cause it, mm-hmm. it just adds, a, the, it really is what finishes an IPA off. In my yeah. Opinion. It rounds it out. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. the theory on the 40 degree edition is you're not quite at that terminal, uh, like crash uh, temp, temp, that, that 30, yeah. 32 degree yeah. crash temp and the hops, adding the hops in, in like a, you know, high thirties right at 40, really will enhance the aroma and the, the, the juiciness, the fruitiness of those flavor hops uh, right. at, at a higher degree than a 60 degree or 70 degree add would. So we've got a couple of those in the tank, so we can't wait to see how it, how it came out. Uh, so speaking of beers in general too, uh, we got in, uh, and trends a little bit, um, but it, you know, seltzers, uh, you guys just put out some seltzers mm-hmm. uh, three, four weeks ago. Yep. Um, why don't you talk us a little bit through kind of how that came to be and, and the, the flavoring and the idea behind your guys' seltzer. So the seltzers, right? Um, it's a love hate in the 
craft beer community, <laughs> right? Um, I get it. Uh, but, you know, they're really, I don't mind them. I respect them, right? If you make them right, they, there's craft involved. It, they take, there's a lot of craft in creating a good seltzer. Seltzers, dirty seltzers are very easy to make. They're yeah. very cheap to make. They're very fast to make, um, but a good quality seltzer, still fast to make, but not, not necessarily easy either. So we, uh, we did our first ones. We didn't skimp on the yeast and we didn't skimp on filtration, right? So the, the key, two key things from a seltzer and the, the craft side of it is you need a really good, fast, clean yeast, right? So the goal is to get fermentation done as fast as possible, much like distilling, but unlike distilling, you need it to finish clean. You can't like off flavors are, it's gotta, are gotta bad. clean itself up. Yeah. yeah. Better. So you need that ability to clean itself up. And then the other thing we're not skimping on or skipping is the carbon filtration. So after fermentation, pre fruit addition, we run it through carbon filtration, which will then scrub any sort of residual off flavor or any sort of off color out of the seltzer thank you that's when i started gaining a respect for seltzers because when they first started coming out obviously it was the macro breweries that were putting a bunch of them out and then as craft started making them as well i started appreciating kind of started looking into it, it was like okay what really goes into it and then i realized that okay you're right you can't just bunch you mix a bunch of sugar and water and and, and make it you, not everyone can make a seltzer like there is actually a lot of craft mm -hmm. to that and like you said whether it's the filtration, whether or not it's getting that color right, because you're right, you can't have a, you can't just add fruit fruit juice to a to a seltzer and call it, you know, a seltzer or, or to to a seltzer base and call it a seltzer. I think that you have to. There's a little bit more to it than that to make sure you kind of add yeah. the flavor without too much sugar. So. And if you, if your base isn't clean, it doesn't matter how much fruit you throw in there. You're gonna, you're gonna be left it. with yeah. that residual uh, flavor, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and then we've we do post fruit additions, right? So we'll do post fermentation fruit. So we'll go from the carbon filtration through the carbon filter into uh, a secondary tank with fruit. Or yeah. We'll add, have the fruit added already. Um, the first two we did, we tested two fruiting methods. So the grapefruit was using a natural extract. And then the pina colada was using real pineapple, real uh, coconut, mm -hmm. right? So it's a liquefied coconut product. Mm -hmm. And very quickly we realized, oh yeah, that that's the way to go. Forget the extract. <laughs> so we brewed our second two seltzers earlier this week. They'll be out right around Memorial Day weekend, uh, probably the weekend before, or no, I guess it would be, yeah, it'd be about Memorial Day weekend. The next two will come out and one's a peach raspberry and the other is a yeah. tropical punch. And all of that is using real hundred percent fruit purees, uh, all post fermentation. So yeah. it's going to be, have that sweetness that, the smoothie style seltzers, I guess, is how they half being. the battles choosing the flavors. I yeah. feel like, yeah, choosing yeah. ones that no one's either done yet or ones that are going to sell or you know. <laughs> so, and I definitely think that the the real fruit is the way to go. I mean, we've seen that in most of uh, what people are putting out now is that the real fruit are the ones that seem to rise to the top. Um, and I, I like that you guys are going that route as well. Yeah. The yeah. ones, the ones that we've I've had the best are yeah. definitely the ones that I think you're right. Whether it be about trier, but you're right, the the fruit. Yeah, real. and the the there's trouble with real fruit, right? A lot of people, um, a lot of small breweries, especially where you have problems with real fruit, and you have to solve for those problems one way or the other, is you either have to have that real fruit in and ferment it out, or you have to solve 
if you're packaging it, how do you solve for not having exploding cans yep. in storing retail. it at certain temps and right. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And cause most of us don't have the capital to sit there and buy, you know, high end flash pasteurizers or tunnel pasteurizers. We just don't have that kind of capital. If we did, we wouldn't be a small craft brewery. Yeah, we exactly. We would have built something a lot bigger. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so you have to solve for it in other methods and that's what, uh, it, it's why we didn't package our first seltzer. Um, we did have that problem with our first smoothie sours uh, earlier this year where we had some cans starting to pop in market. Uh, it was weird how inconsistent it was, but we've we've come up with our solution for that. And on our sours, at least, we've had no issues since then. Well, honestly, once it's in the market, I always feel like, unfortunately, the most you can do. And it, and it sucks that, it, I mean, you're right. You want to try and educate the consumer as much as you can to say, hey, you got to, you know, you've got to keep these cold at least as cold as you can don't don't let them sit in your the back of your car for t- two days or whatever but or well the, the bigger challenge is before even the consumers buy it it's in the retail shops yeah right uh, and and you can't control them either right? right you can't tell them where to put it or how to store it or right so exactly you're trying to solve before that so that that way you but can either way yeah and so anytime this something. happens it ultimately is a brewery fault right so mm-hmm. if you're going to put them out in the market and you're not going to pasteurize and you haven't solved for that problem through other mechanisms. And there are other ways you can solve for it. Some people don't like them, but there are other solutions as brewers that we have to solve for re-fermentation. And if you choose not to do that and you still put them out in the market, ultimately it is our fault, right? It's not the retailer's fault. It's not our distributor's fault. It's not a, it's not the consumer's fault that those cans re-fermented. It's ours. Instructions included, unfortunately, is one of those things that you're right. And too too many instructions is right. I I like the accountability there. It's unfortunately, it is just one of those things that you have to navigate. And it's it's easy to say, well, you must keep cold. (laughs) But... You know, that's that's and a luxury that every retailer doesn't yeah. have, right? Yeah. They don't have... It's easy to say that and try and wipe your hands clean of it like it's not your responsibility. But ultimately, it's one of those things you have to be con- conscious of. I'd yeah, say, and so. if you don't think that your retailers can live up to that expectation, but you still put it out anyway, it's you, it's it, ultimately still our decision. We chose sword. to put that out, right? So. Yeah, double-edged And that could be the 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 first impression that somebody has of your brewery, too. And you maybe yep. ruin that person from potentially coming back so you want to make sure that you're covering those yeah spaces. so we had so. that i mean with this, the blackberry vanilla sour we had that and you know it's on us we we thought we had a solution the solution didn't work unfortunately the only way you find that out is to <laughs> put the cans out and see what, see happens. what happens yeah we saw for it and anyone who you know whether it was a retailer we we told retailers you want to send you can't keep it cold you want to send it back we'll take it all back um so we took everything back that people couldn't keep cold and then mm-hmm. if customers had problems in market, we took responsibility for that yeah. and we exchanged it with stuff here and, uh, you know, made sure they were taken care of and knew like, Hey, whatever, whoever you bought it from, it's not their fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, Don't blame your package store. Like I said, it's on me. Yeah. So. Honestly, you know, I like the accountability. It's an accountability. Like you said, it becomes, it's a learning experience too. You learn next time you make it, you figure out the best way to, to go about it, what, what you need to change about it. So yep. speaking of flavor, by the way, we got yep. some flavor, some, some more flavor sitting in front of us, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, this is Kyle's already been digging into it. I'm just gonna cheat yeah. and say Fuego Tango, Fuego Tango, pineapple um, habanero pale ale. It is pineapple. Ooh. I couldn't remember as we're sitting here. I couldn't remember if it was mango or pineapple. So. It is pineapple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ooh, I did yeah. take a sip, and I I love pepper beers personally. They're one of my favorite categories, um, and I think it's personally I think it's hard to do well because um, there are kind of two mm. different camps that you typically put in. You like the people who like the heat, and you like the people who just like the pepper flavor. And I think this kind of 
Mm. Not that it has a ton of heat, but it's it's got that nice little kind of slow burn in the back of your throat that you. That's kind of what feel. we're going for. Um, yep. Yeah. Which is one of my favorites. I I told you incorrectly because when I said I got a chance to try this earlier in the week, I actually you're right. I'm definitely getting more of the heat now, but it's still the sweet heat because you're still getting paired with the. Maybe it's not the pineapple exactly that I'm tasting, but either way, it's definitely kind of me- more mellow. It's still a little bit a little bit hotter now than mm-hmm. I remembered when I had it the first time. But yeah, it's also been sitting here in front of us, so it's had a chance to, to warm up just ever so slightly. And mm-hmm. so that's going to bring out the heat a little bit. So mm. Yeah, and so, th- I mean, this is a fun one to make. We'll probably only make it once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, it's ten pounds of fresh habaneros, so Ooh. in a ten barrel bat. So do you throw get, those in whole? We you, cut them in half. Okay, so we just cut them in half, expose, expose you know, the the, the seeds and the mm-hmm. the capsaicin and all that, and just toss them in and let mm-hmm. it let it hang out for a couple of weeks. It definitely with some, gets the full yeah, definitely gets the full uh, effect too. Of the uh, pepper, a couple hundred so. pounds of pineapple puree in there with Ooh. it, so. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about this as well, which Chris and I have talked a little bit about before on the show is, do you find that when it sits, uh, for that extended period of time that the oils from the peppers tend to rise to the top? So you have to kind of mix it, uh, a little bit to make sure that it's kind of balancing out. Cause we've run into a few pepper beers where mm-hmm. the bottom or the top half of the, the brew is just all heat. Yeah. So anytime we're with this beer, we, what we did is we would circ the tank every day okay, mm-hmm. uh, until we were ready to carve it and package it sure. just to kind of help keep everything as blended as you can. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's not like we have the ability to have like a really good solid mixing tank, mm-hmm. but to the extent possible, we would circ the tank every day to just kind of keep everything kind of doing that. We're doing that right now. We have a sour sop marshmallow sour Ooh. in the tanks right now. That'll be out next week. Love the creativity. Um, Different. Which yeah. would be the... 14th yeah, I was about of say, May, so okay. this yeah. will already be out. Bef- okay. Or the yeah, sour exactly. sop will be It'll out before the podcast. Out. And it might even be out, so you yeah. might have already missed it, unfortunately. Um, so. so sour sop's a fun fruit. Uh, we paired it with marshmallows, so we're in the marshmallows in fermentation. Uh-huh. So we have to mix that every day to kind of make sure that marshmallow sour sop stays mixed well together. Wow. Yeah. And we'll have to mix it every day until it's ready to to can up and keg. Kyle, you know me. You know I love the 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 quote-unquote crazy flavor combos. So the fact that <laughs> soursop is one, I don't think I've actually had in beer. I've had like lychee yep. and some of the other, you know, some of those crazy ones. But like I said, that's a new one. So I'm glad that... Yeah, it's a South American Caribbean fruit. Uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of fun. It smells bad. Yeah. Uh, before it got in the beer. Sure. It stunk. Yeah. But now that it's in the beer, it's nice and smooth. The marshmallow <laughs> yeah, the, really creams it out. You second it a little bit. You're like, oh, this might just be a marshmallow beer after all. It, it tasted great, though. Like, the puree smelled horrible, but it tasted phenomenal. So, yeah, yeah. it's this weird fruit. Um, but the smell dissipated quickly in the wort, right, or in the beer. Yeah. Uh, and so, pairing it with a sour Berliner base. Yeah. And then adding that marshmallow as a sweetener, it worked out well. Um, so, hey, so we've got, obviously... We've got one more beer in front of us before we get into that. And you can go and crack it if you want okay. to, because I know it's a bit... It's, you know, a little ASMR for I was about, we've, ta- we've talked about Chunks oh, yeah. a little bit, so I, I like the fact that we've oh, yeah. already done the intro to this one. But um, And this is awesome, by the way, and I'm just going to point out, so if you start hearing background noise, it's perfectly okay. We actually have been talking for so long that they've Enderby is now officially open. Um, it's a big day because we got the second iteration of Georgia Beer Glasses yeah. going on today. So Which Chris and I did not get nope, uh, we did day not. one, so we, we will be we picking the, up one today. We were some of the suckers who didn't get the first class. We didn't realize it was going to be such a big, um, big thing, and so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That neither did f- us. So yeah. we, none of us ordered enough. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're glad that obviously it's, it's been such a big. Again, people wanted to get it because obviously it's, it was a dollar, I think. Or well, how how do you, how were you guys supporting? So we did it, it uh, ten dollars 
uh, and you got a full, you know, $10, we fill the glass up with whatever beer you want, and then you keep the glass. Nice. Nice. I think that's a that's I mean, obviious. And, and all the then, proceeds go to the Georgia Craft Brewers yep. Guild. Which is that we always, of course, we're going to say support local because that is exactly not. During the pandemic, we just saw that, you you know, you needed to support local more than ever because if you wanted great craft brews to be, you know, to, to be, be around, around yeah. yep. you had to support them. But um, with that being said, so while we're drinking, so this is Chunkzilla's um, Taming the Beast. Yep, yep. Chunkzilla cool. Taming the Beast. So German chocolate cake. I yep. do want to talk a little bit about what's in this beer, and this will, since especially since this is the last one we saved, maybe the best for last, we'll see. But back to the Anderby story. I want to know the name like, one more time. Go through that because that's uh, that's so, what I was always curious about. Anderby is a very tiny village in, on the east coast of England, uh, kind of in the middle of the country, if you can mm-hmm. picture Anderby or picture England. And it, the village has like 300 people that live there. And supposedly... 13th century or so it was the manor seat of the smelt family so okay family clan right like every, like that was where the clan head was and when my grandparents traced our roots we never were able to get back that far in mm-hmm. our ancestry so I like whether or not my actual dna traces back to there or not i don't actually know but the name had a ring to it and when, when we were trying to when we knew we wanted to open a brewery we didn't know where we were going to be and I know a lot of breweries that have picked a name because they said, I'm going to be right here. And then it doesn't work out. Yeah. And yeah. then they have to find a new name and they go through this whole process. So I wanted a name that wasn't tied to, tied to a yeah. specific area True. of Atlanta. Yeah. And the names I, and so all the names I had were either trademarked already or were too localized mm-hmm. on a location that we didn't know if we were able to gonna actually be to land a lease, right? So originally, not originally, I still do, but I live in Dunwoody and I uh, wanted to be the first brewery in Dunwoody. I was going to say, which does not have any breweries currently. <laughs> it has a brew pub, right? But that's about uh-huh. as far as they've gotten. Um, we wanted to be the first production brewery in, in Dunwoody. And this was right as SB 85 was passed. Mm-hmm. So the little state laws changed to where yep. it to yeah. a tap room. But Dunwoody's city laws were... Um, not supportive of a brewery. Like you couldn't operate a production brewery in Dunwoody because of zoning laws, alcohol code, city alcohol code. All that seems stuff. like that's always the case, right? right. <laughs> seems to be a common trend. And and I met with city council members. I met one of those city council members is now the mayor. Um, okay. I met with the director of business development. I met the director of economic development. Had a uh, had a spot in the heart of Dunwoody, uh, not in Dunwoody Village, but right across the street from Dunwoody Village that was ready to give me a lease. And I couldn't get Dunwoody to give me any confidence that they would update city code to allow us to be able to then open our doors. And so we went back to the drawing board on locations and ended up in Peachtree Corners, right? But yeah. So all of that meant that I didn't want a name that was tied to anything. Sure that didn't have a preconceived notion that I could build a story around fresh and not have to worry about where it came from or, you know, anything like that. So that's kind of what we went for. And Peachtree Corners is incorporated officially now, correct? Yes. Yes. I think it's actually the youngest city in Georgia. I was about to say, because City Hall is literally right down the street from where you guys are. About a mile on the road. I passed it the other day on a bike. Um, And (laughs) 
we've talked, obviously we had a chance to go over to social Fox and we've obviously talked to them as well. And they, you know, similar, it seems like this area is starting to, is it's awesome because especially now that I live here selfishly, um, but really embrace craft beer and what it can do. Not just there's not people think have negative connotations about the alcohol side of it, but there's really so much more good than bad that comes from breweries getting into communities from what yeah. we've noticed. So, I mean, responsible breweries are great for their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we now, the Peachtree Corners Norcross area, as of next week, so again, for those listening, this will already be, this will be <laughs> it's okay. late yeah, we, news. We have to do this a lot where we yeah. talk about like things that were in the, the future uh, now, but in the past. <laughs> so by the weekend of the 15th, Peachtree Corners Norcross will have four breweries yeah. uh, open. So that's, that's great. We're that's all awesome. within less than, I think it's like three miles. Yeah. It's a little Ten brewery, brewery yeah, trail yeah. now. Yeah. So hopefully we can kind of get some sort of. Beer nice bus, beer bus say, yeah, type concept <laughs> going between the four of us. The, yeah. the autonomous cars that come through here supposedly every now and then, right? I haven't <laughs> seen any. I haven't in a long seen time. them. So when, so for those who don't know, Peachtree Corners is one of the few places in the world, I think, that actually has a live road with an autonomous vehicle testing. Wow, didn't know there facility. The <laughs> There's only like three or four in the world, from what at least when it opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're on that autonomous vehicle test track. Yep. And so when we first opened, you would see these autonomous vehicles coming through all the time. <laughs> but with COVID, it, I haven't seen any, which it's is kind of stopped. Yeah. Which, it hasn't resumed. Hopefully since. that's not because they had any issues with the autonomous vehicles, but <laughs> well, they didn't I mean, they'd always have some yeah. Yeah. like minor, yeah. Uh, I mean, they've got them. They've literally got their own lane out here with like yep. a pylon, like a cone. Cone. Thing, yeah. So. So not only just the name, uh, Preston, but uh, the branding is also super unique. I love your guys' branding. Um, I, I love uh, every can has the the same kind of feel for the most part, but it's very vibrant, different. Um, it matches the name of the beer, too. So why don't you talk a little bit about the branding and kind of how you guys went that route? Sure. Um, so, I mean, neither one of us are designers. <laughs> what... But what we do have is a, uh, we usually, Michelle, between Michelle and I, we usually have a good idea when we name a beer, kind of what we think the imagery should look like. And so we hooked up with a firm uh, called 88 Design, and they're a division of Grandstand, which a lot of people in the beer community may know because Grandstand's one of like the largest suppliers of merch sure. and glassware. Uh, so they, they have their own little design division. And we hooked up with them to kind of help create an overarching brand theme. And you, know, you can just kind of see the evolution of our logos, uh, like from the glassware versus like our can art. And what they've been able to do is create a consistent branding theme that they then apply to every label design. And what Michelle and I are trying to do is allow our personalities and our interests to come out through our beer and our designs, right? So uh, she's really huge. And I mean, not as I used to be, but I'm not anymore <laughs> as big into the like animal rescue community. Uh, she volunteers with Fur Kids, which is a local animal rescue, yeah. uh, probably one of the largest uh, non-kill rescues here in the Southeast. And we've been doing that, man, 10, 11, 12 years now. It's been a long time. Wow. Uh, so you'll see a lot of cat themes in our stuff, mm-hmm. ah. uh, which I like because it. I, I felt there were a couple of themes that are way overplayed in the craft beer community, right? It's it's pot references, yeah, of course, uh, dogs, and okay. like fish sailing themes. Those seem <laughs> okay. to be really prevalent in a lot of breweries. Mm-hmm. 
And so we kind of wanted to do something different. And since we're cat people, uh, we decided to really lean into it. So like Chunkzilla is a model, like our cat was the model for Chunkzilla. Uh, one of our cats was the model for the Come Play With Us label. One of our cats was the model for the Eddie label. And so we've incorporated our cat. I didn't see the cat on, on Chunkzilla at first, actually, but now I do. Yeah. So, you know, Chunkzilla is her nickname, which is where we came up with okay. the beer name. Right. And then we're, you know, we're big music fans. Uh, Safe to say she's a fat cat. She is okay. like a 20 pounder. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a big 20 pounder. Um, okay. And so, and then we're also big music fans. So you'll see a lot of music elements in our hence, labels, hence Van Hazen. Van Hazen. Yep. Um, We've had a few others that are music tied. Hatchet Axe and Saul was one from last summer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that was a great beer. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I had it. So that was a rush theme. Okay. Uh, and so you'll see it pop in and every now and then. Sometimes it'll be obvious. Sometimes it'll be subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which honestly, because you're right, I was going to ask. I noticed. So, I mean, the Anderby logo itself, it's always seemed very, um, I say, racing themed to me. I don't know why like you know like european racing which i don't know yeah. why it's probably just because of the geometric lines at the top and bottom coming out could of the be logo, but. I, remember, I do i do like the the grain aspect of the the lines as well oh, i think that's a nice little touch uh to the logo by the way and also i remember the i've seen the iteration that you have gone through in terms of just packaging as well because obviously starting with the the little shorty 12 ounce bottles that i got a few of those i think those are the first ones i picked up yeah. i think i picked up rhinoceros just with the uh in the Oh, I can't remember what the other beer was. You picked up Saison. Well, yeah. I think it was a Saison y'all did as well. Um, so yeah. the bottles were an interesting story. <laughs> um, so I picked up at an auction years ago a counterpressure bottle filler ah, okay. that allowed me to just fill 12-ounce bottles or, or 16-ounce bottles, bombers, didn't matter, yep. bottle size. Yeah, you can fill bottles. And I was using it really on the homebrew side mm-hmm. to... One of know, the little wand ones? like the. Oh, no. This is you got an the actual... Multi? Like, Two bottles at a time. Gotcha. You got the multi. Yeah. Pushes CO2. It's an Express Fill 2500. You can look them up. More beers got them. Um, they still sell them. And so I picked one up at auction like at, a th- it, I don't know, a 60% discount over its list price. And got it working. And of course, moved it here when we had it, even though I didn't really want it, right? That is not a conducive way to bottle yeah. <laughs> a 10-barrel brewery. Um, it's just not. Uh, maybe a one-off stout here and there, but not anything else. And the pandemic hit (laughs) and we had tanks and tanks of beer and no way to move it. And I said, Hey, I got this counter pressure bottle fuller Mm -hmm. sitting here in the back. We had at the time, I don't know why, but I had about 80 cases of 12 ounce bottles as well. So I had a lot of bottles. (laughs) Um, I have a bunch actually. And, And these were not like, reused homebrew bottles these were brand new like from the factory 12 ounce brown bottles that had never been used you were planning big from the get-go that's what you're supposed to do well again uh i got these at an auction i pay like a hundred bucks for 99 cases wow Wow. of 12 ounce brown bottles so and i had plenty of place to store them both at home and here so i just had all these bottles and we ran into a can shortage Yep. And things like getting uh, a mobile canner in here to start canning beer was very difficult at the time. They wouldn't can off kegs yep. because they felt it was a bad business practice. But this bottler was designed to bottle off kegs. So we took all this keg beer we had that we weren't moving during the pandemic. And Michelle and I would sit in the back and bottle beer 
for hours on end. Um, again, not an efficient system. Yeah. But it allowed us to move beer during the pandemic that otherwise would have just had to go down the drain. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, when when COVID hit, uh, everybody started buying cans like crazy. Correct. And people yeah, draft sales stopped, yeah, right? Yeah. So. People needed ways to to put their beer out into market. So they were buying all the, the canning lines. And that was like almost a year or so to even get somebody to come in to even deliver it, right? Yeah. I mean, it, so was, we, it was a long We process. ordered a canning line in early March and it didn't get delivered until October. That's, yeah. It's crazy. So now we can can. It, wow. It, the canning line we bought... Um, was what we could afford. And so we we got stuck with one can size. We had to make a choice. Do we want 16-ounce cans or 12-ounce cans? We chose 16 because I think for most of our product, um, you know, 75% of our product line, the 16-ounce cans are perfect. Yep. The other 25%, like the 13% stouts, a uh, pint can be a little much. Yeah. Yep. But I, was I don't about have to that say, flexibility. So. For a lot of your beer, especially since two of your flagships are over 8%, essentially, yep. I think that that's... Not that you need my approval, but I think it's a great. I, I think that's a good decision. And you know, we we talk a lot about the fact that the six versus the four pack. I know the the craft industry has gone to the four pack of you know sixteen ounce cans, but I think it makes sense because I mean, it's it allows consumers to not feel like hey, you know, they're just buying a twelve, you know, six pack of something they can actually all of a sudden get two four packs instead. So it's both beneficial to both the consumer because they can get two beers instead of one, mm-hmm. and they you know, like I said, and you're able to make a little bit more on those two. So. Yeah. I like the 16-ounce cans. It's also a good good pouring size for a lot yeah. of beers, Yeah, a lot for of most, IPAs. You know, most of the time, we're, we're expecting that pint, right? Yep. And so mm-hmm. two 12-ounce bottle yep. cans may be too much. Yep. One 16-ounce can is perfect. And even for the 13% stout, you could split that with somebody, and it would yes, be a perfect very pour. very easy. Yep. Um, and, it's and, a perfect split share can. I will and, say, we did this perfectly. We split the, the split the can three ways right now. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it is a heavy beer, which I, again, is one of those not typical. It's one of the, my nightcap beers normally. Not not so much a middle of the day beer, but I think it's... it's. Is it before you pass out or this fall is the asleep last beer on the before couch. I pass? Well, this is probably the one that oh, okay. I finish <laughs> and I wake up mid-sleep mid, mid sleep and I'm like, oh, need to finish that beer real quick because <laughs> it's too good to not... I'm not going to leave it. not going to pour it. And as it warms up, it's... Mm-hmm. An improved beer, right? Yeah. So for me, the more this warms up, the more oh, the coconut comes out. Yeah. And you really get that nice little coconutty uh finish we, off it. We yeah. let this we did the right thing. That's what I think a lot of people don't realize about like a good stout is that you really shouldn't drink it like don't try and drink it too quick cold because yeah. it really you're not gonna do yourself any any favors by drinking cold. You're gonna get most of the flavors as it warms well, up. And so. that's beer as a whole, right? So most beer isn't designed to be served ice cold, right? Mm-hmm. So we you know, we keep our, our beer cooler at 40 degrees and then we pour straight off the cooler. So our tap lines, maybe an inch of our tap lines are exposed outside of the cooler. Wow. So our beer is coming out, you know, except for the stouts, most of our beer is coming out at optimal serving temp. But a lot of people are like, oh, the beer's not cold enough. And it's like, well, it's not it's, supposed to it's the way it in should true be. English style. <laughs> right? like, in true English style, yeah. it should um, not be super cold. Yeah. Not even just true English style. Like just for most of these beers, the flavor profiles are better at forty. I mean, that's most beverages, right? Yep. Like even Coke is like the optimal storage true. temp for Coke is forty, mm-hmm. right? Not thirty something. Another benefit to the sixteen ounce can is that because it's more beer, obviously you get a chance to try it at the beginning when it's colder, and at the end when it's obviously won't had a chance yep. to warm up. So yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one other thing I want to mention about your cans, one thing that I love that you guys did was with your split personality series, you did four packs of two of each of the, the variations, which is really cool. And I, honestly, 
in this market, I don't see a lot of people doing that. Um, really cool that you could get two different styles of beer in one four pack. Um, so that's a that's a hats off to you guys because that's a really cool idea. Thank you. Yeah, and it's, it is laborious though. I yeah. was about to say, <laughs> I'm sure that was probably the idea of just hey, let's split these. It's literally called split personality. Yeah. So you need a little bit of both, but um, I I do agree. So um, a question we always like to ask. So. So, Anderby, so where do you see this all in the, in the next few years? Obviously, when we asked this, started asking this question about two years ago, obviously, COVID really threw a wrench into everything. But, yeah, yeah where, where do you see yourself in, in two to three years with the brand and, and kind of what do you see? Well, so where we're going to next, right, is we're going to start leaning into the sours. We've, we've, we do know that our sours have really taken off, mm-hmm. and so we're going to start leaning into those a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, right now, we're jokingly refer to ourselves as an IPA shop. And probably over the next two months, that's going to flip and we'll be more of a sour shop for a little while. Okay. Uh, just because we're finding a lot of good traction in that that space for us. And they're all smoothie-style sours, which does help, right? That mm-hmm. post-fermentation fruit. Um, the hope is that we can continue to kind of grow. Um, I'm hoping that with all the new breweries that have hit Peachtree Corners, Norcross, that we'll start to get a little more traffic out here. Uh, a lot of people come not just try us, but try the other breweries. And we can lift each other up. Yep, I've been saying it for a while, but I feel like the pe- not it was Brookhaven, Shambly, Dunwoody got skipped somehow. But Peachtree Corners is uh, that Dunwoody next. got skipped because well, yeah, because it was a white we were talked about earlier. Right. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they yeah. don't have Dun- craft. Dunwoody got skipped because Dunwoody chose not to take They're action. They're too slow yeah. and they're not right. allowing craft beer quick enough. So therefore, hey, I'm all for it. Um, and antiquated architecture rules in places like the village. Yeah, as a resident, I can talk smack about my own city. So yeah. <laughs> I, I actually did live in Dunwoody for a short little yeah. bit, and I I agree. I as the one thing I'll say is that. They're, they're lagging behind in a, in a couple of different areas. Look, for I mean, sure. again, I'm a Dunwoody voter, and I know some city council members, and I know a lot of Dunwoody residents, and everybody's saying, man, the village would be great to have a brewery. Yeah. The problem is the zoning in the village. And I don't mean zoning from a, just they don't allow for breweries to operate in the village. The problem is they've allowed schools to be in the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Which that now puts you in lot, violation yeah. of state code. Yep. To be able to for the state to it's issue true. a brewery permit yep. when there are schools in the village. Yeah. You ever been over there? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, yeah. It's so a- it's it's gonna be hard for Dunwoody Village to get a brewery anywhere simply because they have schools in Dunwoody Village, and that's a state law. The city can't override that. Yep. So there's no waiver process. It just dawned on me that yeah, I guess that would present issues, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, the only thing you could do is like be at the opposite end of where everything else in the village is at, and then mm-hmm. you might have enough distance to cover yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's it's there are some things that have happened there that have made it a little complicated for a brewery to just show up and move in. And trust me, because if I could have, I would have. Yeah. Uh, I'd be there right now. And um, and I for one, I'm glad you you moved. You're you're located in Peachtree Corners because, like I said, you're my local brewery. I can yeah. I could walk here if I wanted to, or I could walk home. I guess is the way I should put that. That's more right. importantly. Um, or but, you're at least like a five dollar Uber, and not like yeah. you know thirty five dollars. I'm, I'm, I'm way too cheap for that. I'd walk yeah. home. I'd walk yeah. home. There's, there's literally bike. There's well an autonomous car lane that apparently didn't isn't used anymore, but there's also a bike lane everywhere. That's yep. what I love about yeah. Peachtree Corners. Apparently, there are a lot of biking lanes. Um, so with the sours, I'm curious. So have y'all looked at um, barrel programming? I know that's obviously that's a that's a whole different endeavor. Usually, have y'all done much with, or thought about that too much? So we've we started a barrel program with our stouts and our barley wines. So okay. we'll have those coming out here in a in a couple of months. Uh, we did a barley wine split between rye whiskey, double malt scotch, and bourbon barrels. Okay. And then we did the 
Imperial Stout and bourbon barrels, uh, all from ASW downtown. Nice. Also so local. Nice. Also local. Love correct. that. So those will, uh, we'll be hopefully releasing those late summer. Not really the optimal time for 11% sure. barrel aged beers, but who cares? Yeah. Um, they're ready when they're ready. I was going to say, people, people will love, them. yeah, people yeah. love the stouts. They'll come out for it. And so hopefully we'll be, you know, putting some out in kegs and out in the distro and then also, uh, putting some, you know, we'll have some bottles of some size. Uh, I'm not going to can them, but we'll do bottles, probably 500 mil. Got to use that bottle filler for something, right? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> you know, they're going to be big, they're going to be strong. Um, and you know, we want to maximize the ability to kind of hit a lot of people. Right. So four packs don't really make sense. Yeah. Um, one aluminum can doesn't make sense as, as far as a long-term storage, if yeah. you want to age them on your own. Yeah. yeah. So when when is officially the next anniversary for you guys? So we'll we'll technically be celebrating our second anniversary in October. Okay. Okay. So Ooh, second birthday time. will be October. Yeah. Um, fall time beers are always some of the best mm. beers in my opinion. We're probably going to mm. feel more comfortable doing parties by then. So yeah. we're, we're we're starting the plans now on kind of what that'll look like. Excited so, about that. We are too. Yeah. Because we skipped last year's, right? Because yeah. we didn't do any. We did a kind of a customer appreciation week, if I yeah, remember correctly. I remember we did a lot of yeah. sales and specials, but yep. it, it's it was you know it was a weird year, and I feel like obviously we, we we're glad we're not having to ask that question anymore. Really about how you're handling sale or your business during COVID. It, I mean, it is now officially we are still in the middle of the pandemic officially, but at the same time we're now getting to ask the question is like, what do you see as life beyond the pandemic? And I like the fact that you're right. We're not, you know. We're still being cautious and safe about it because we need to we need to make sure that before we just open up our doors to 100% capacity, um, like Truist Park did last <clears> night. Hey, yeah, I was about to say, before we officially do that, we need to make sure that we can do it safely. And as a business, I mean, it sounds like you guys have been responsible along the way, even with, you know, starting back to the Black Raven, you know, back to the sour conversation that we were talking about. It's like, it's there's an accountability that goes along with, with owning breweries. And it's, it's, I think that speaks a lot to, I think that that'll, benefit you in the end meaning that's you know karma is a th real thing eventually yep. and so for sure and i mean and even now we're over a year into this and vaccines are becoming more widespread mm -hmm. and you know my wife and i are both vaccinated but we're still zaburi we're still masking up we, we are not skimping on the masks yep. um our staff is still in masks we still uh we're still operating at a reduced seating capacity so we have plenty of tables still in the back that we haven't put back out yeah, uh, we got rid of all of our bar seats, so we don't have seating at the bar, just to make it easier for people yeah. who are ordering not to be in, you know, packed in. Uh, so yeah, so we're still trying to behave responsibly and and create a and safe environment. And I'll point out, you've got you know you've got a good sized parking lot. I mean, I, you could actually you know theoretically, if you wanted to safely have one of those first type of events, I feel like you could take maybe two or three spots and, and kind of do like a patio space even mm -hmm. further if you really wanted yep. to and which leads me to the point you have food trucks out here from time to time correct yeah we have food trucks every thursday friday saturday sunday okay yeah. so pretty much so. every every good beer drinking day that yeah. is correct except for monday tuesday and wednesday, wednesday. Which are also good beer drinking well on days. mondays we're closed so. yeah. oh well, never mind <laughs> food so trucks on a monday would be you know just you guys. No, just maybe. us. I yeah. could come hang out just in the parking lot. A brew day. Yeah. I could come hang out in the parking lot and drink beer and no one's going to throw me out. We could right? tailgate on correct. Mondays. You could. You could. You could come out here and tailgate on Mondays. So uh, Sunday we come pick up a four couple pack, four packs and yeah. then come tailgate on Mondays. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll it be sounds a little like bit a good lonely, idea. but I'll do it anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, after a brew, we'll come out and talk about what we brewed. And yeah. <laughs> what, day, yeah. what days of the week be. are you typically brewing? Are you brewing pretty much every day of the week? Right. Well, I, I mean, I wish I could brew every day of the week. I don't have enough tank space for that one. Yeah. But uh, Mondays and Wednesdays are our typical brew days. Sure. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're typically doing some sort of packaging or cleaning. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Fridays are normally the one operation day where we're not doing anything. But gotcha. It all depends on what beers are being brewed, what their aging cycles are. So there may be the occasional week we don't brew at all because all eight fermenters are full and nothing's ready to move. Yeah. So that's the logistics of beer. You have to figure out exactly. You have to always have to think two to three weeks in advance because you have to think about what you have in the tanks now versus. Well, and we do just in time shipping on ingredients. So we always have to be thinking three to four weeks ahead so yep. you can order stuff and then hope to God there aren't shipping delays. delays. You know, with oh, weather and right. storms and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Preston, where where can people find Anderby uh, Brewing social-wise? Where can they get the beer? Uh, give us the whole spiel where people so, can find you guys. Social-wise, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Anderby Brewing. It's the same everywhere. So at Anderby Brewing, website's com. So that's very easy. Um, it's the good news about having a name like Anderby that nobody knows what the hell the word is. Nothing was owned social-wise, so we Perfect. were able to pick it all up early. Uh, and then distro-wise, I'd like to say a lot of places because we actually are in a lot of places, but everybody's getting very small amounts. So sure. if I told you, hey, we're in XYZ liquor store, there's a good chance that by the time you showed up at XYZ liquor store, they'll be out of whatever we had. I can name a few um, in the area that you're in. Yeah, other yeah. than that, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been in uh, Grapes and Grains usually keeps some good stuff uh, here in Johns Creek. Nanyan Corners the other day. The, corners, new, the new place right around the corner. Yeah, Corners here so. keeps a couple of uh, stuff in stock. Uh-huh. Uncle Dax Smokehouse here in uh, Peace Street Corners okay. usually keeps us on tap uh, nice. permanently. Uh, I know Jim City, Sprayberry out in the Woodstock, Marietta areas typically keep so us. So what I'm hearing is mostly in the kind of the at least North Metro um, yeah. Atlanta North area. North Metro for area sure. for yeah. sure. Okay. Saw you guys down uh, in what, Macon kind of area oh, too? We're, we're in Macon. Yeah. The Sours are a huge hit in yeah. South Georgia. Nice. So, you know, we're... We are actually in some random places. Our yeah. distributor, we distribute through Modern Hops, and nice. they've done a really good okay. job of getting us in, like Savannah, St. Simons, uh, Macon, yeah. Valdosta. I've always heard that. Yeah, they'll, Rome. they'll do good. They'll yeah. do good getting you getting you around in the. Bring a lot of Wisconsin thing. beers down here too. So. They do. I'm That's true, Kyle. That. You you especially <laughs> love Modern Hops these yeah. days because yeah. of getting some of those Wisconsin mm-hmm. brews from back home. So yeah. Well, hey, want to thank you for having us out today. Obviously, it's been fantastic getting to talk about a lot of things. Um, this has actually been our first brewery in, in on site brewery interview this entire in, season so yeah. to be Fantastic. honest it's like yeah. it's like it's like like you goes along with the earlier conversation the fact that we're getting to that point where we can finally kind of at least start thinking about what these conversations look like i yeah. will point out that we are doing our six feet apart we're still social distancing yeah. as we you know safely yeah. can be so yeah. um we, but yeah. we got the cabling for that yeah <laughs> want to appreciate you having us out today yeah. you and michelle michelle's over there uh working yeah i was gonna say pouring i mean it's been literally ever since you guys opened at noon it's been obviously people in and out the door um it helps that we got the georgia beer day glasses going on today it's got some nice uh, georgia beer drinking weather so um but yeah with that any final thoughts that you had for our listeners today no just if you see us come check us out uh pick up something it's always changing but it's always good and you know if it's been a long time since you've been here uh, if you knew about us from 2019 or early 2020 it's a radically different brewery uh now so yeah, yeah. come out and try it give us another shot and tell us what you think 
Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll do a we'll do quick, a little cheers to you cheers guys to and uh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Multi Goodness, where Kyle and I got a chance to sit down with Preston uh, from Anderby Brewing here in my hometown, Peachtree Corners, I can now officially say, and I am loving it. Um, remember, you can stay up to date with all things Multi Goodness on our website, multigoodness.com, or on Instagram at Multi Goodness Podcast, or on Facebook at Multi Goodness. Unfortunately, we do not have the luxury of having the exact same name across all our social platforms, yeah. but. We're getting there. So yeah. um, remember, you also, we can stay up to date with everything we're drinking on the show. We do have our uh, multigoodness.com slash beer dash list, which I selfishly always like to plug because I'm the data guy data and guy. I love, yeah. yeah, I'm the data geek. So I love, uh, love doing it. So um, it's been a great season. We, we love being able to finish where, where the heart is with beer yeah. uh, at the breweries themselves. And so um, great season. And again, Preston, thank you very much for having Thanks us out so much, at yeah. Anderby Brewing. Yeah. Our pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.